Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. All right, I'm going to read our, um, our scripture this morning. This is Mark 6, 7 through 13, and then 30 through 43. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Who here has been on a missions trip? Anybody? Where have you been? Where, who's, where have you been, Carrie? Mexico? Where? Canada? Mexico? Wow. Southeast Asia, all of. Awesome. Where in, Me- where in Mexico? Tijuana? Carrie, where in Mexico? Sweet. Who else has been on a mission trip? Where have you been? Brazil. Wow, that sounds fun. Spain, right? Yeah, Montana. Montana, sweet. <laughs> Exotic Montana. Actually, funny story. I went on a missions trip to Central America with a missions group from Montana. That was the best Spanish lesson ever. <laughs> it was so much fun. Who else has been on a missions trip? Where have you been? Ecuador, Brazil, Spain. Awesome. Spanish speaking. Anybody else? 
Where have you been? Oh, yeah. Where haven't you been, Kathy? No, where have you been? Macedonia. Where else? Kathy, too? Wow. That's fun. Today we're going to talk about... Was that somebody else? Okay. I used to lead missions groups. Primarily, we'd go to Baja area. We'd build houses, we'd do evangelism, we'd help orphans. Um, part of the reason I bring this up is this is one of the first missions recorded in the Bible, right? Jesus sending out the disciples to go without him. One thing I learned from missions is that it's a really rewarding time, but it's also a lot of hard work, right? I mean, you get... You get 15 people on a missions trip deciding where to go, and you have 20 opinions on where to eat. If you're doing things that are adventurous, you have a group that's like, no, that's too risky. And then you have the other group who's like, well, that's kind of boring. <laughs> if you're going to eat ethnic food, there's a group of people who are like, yes, I want to try this food. And there's also a group of people who are like, that's too spicy. That doesn't agree. <laughs> If you eat the Americanized version, you have a group of people who are like, yes, I can now eat. And the other group of people who are like, we've traveled all this way. Which makes me wonder what it was like in these early Bible stories with this 12 distinctly different group of people all together going the same place, trying to do the same mission together. And it's interesting to note that Jesus did mission totally different than how we would send a missions group today. The end of this story is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels in the Bible. But it's interesting to note that it was a short-term missions trip that prepared the disciples for the task. We'll jump in at verse 7. It says, And Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. So there's a bunch of details in here to note that are going to come back later, but how many disciples were there? There was not 24. How many disciples were there in this story? There's 12, right? Important. Now, in previous chapters, Jesus had actually told these 12 men, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But up to this point, it's mostly Jesus doing the fishing and the disciples who are kind of along for the ride. This is the chapter and verse where he starts to send them out. It says he sent them out two by two. Why would you send them out two by two? Couple reasons. There's strength in numbers, right? When you have two people, they can help one another when they're weak or when they're sick or when they're tired. Ecclesiastes 4:10 says, For if one falls, one can lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift them up. What else could getting sent two by two encourage? What could encourage teamwork, right? I mean, I wonder how Jesus paired the disciples. Did he intentionally put the zealot who wanted to drive out Rome with the tax collector who kind of worked for Rome? Would he have put doubting Thomas with overconfident Peter just to see how that played out? Makes you wonder. And what tools would Jesus send him with? My first 
point, and one of the most powerful things to note is that Jesus commissioned them for good works with spiritual authority. Jesus commissioned them with spiritual authority, right? He didn't send them out with Bible tracts. Nothing wrong with Bible tracts, but that's not what he sent them out with. He didn't send them out with scrolls of the Sermon on the Mount, word by word to get read in all the villages. He sent them out with spiritual authority. Verse 8 says, He also charged them to take nothing for their journey except for a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals and do not put on two tunics. Okay, let's be real. When, we, when I plan a missions trip, my guest Kathy, when you plan a missions trip, you give people a list of what to bring, right? And it's usually going to include things like a snack, a bag with a bunch of extra stuff, a little bit of cash, right? These are things we have pre-missions meetings to go over. Do you have your list? Are you bringing your stuff, right? The biggest list that Jesus gives them is what not to bring, And it's like all the stuff that I tell people to bring, right? Don't bring bread. That would be considered like a basic for any journey, right? I'm going someplace and I'm on foot. What are you going to need to get there? Food. Legs don't work too good without food, right? Second thing he told them not to bring is don't bring a bag. Don't bring a bag. When I got 12 people in a bus and we're going down to Baja and everybody's mind is doing 18 different things, I'm like, bring a bag. (laughs) Bring a book to read, bring your phone to be on, bring something to do, it's going to be a long drive, we might get stuck in traffic, like be thinking ahead. Jesus actually said, don't bring those things. Kathy Evans, have you ever told a missionary, do not bring money on this trip? (laughs) Exactly, we tell them, bring more. Just in case, you don't know if there's going to be a trinket you want, if you want to eat something different than what the group does. I mean, the police in other countries, there's laws, there's fines, there's all these things like bring some extra cash and have the debit card like in your money belt, right? That's how we do mission. That's not how Jesus did mission. The stuff he's telling them not to bring is stuff that would be basic necessity to travelers in the first century. Think about this one. You're traveling at night across a desert landscape. Now, the desert's hot during the day, but it gets cold at night. Jesus says, don't bring two coats. Even if you got them, don't bring them. This list would deprive these missionaries of any sense of self-sufficiency and probably destroy a lot of their expectations of what ministry should look like. We can come into ministry with a lot of expectations of how things are going to go, can't we? We can come in expecting ministry is going to be a comfortable life where we feel completely empowered. And with all the things we're going to learn, we'll be totally equipped to sail through life with only smooth sailing. I know sometimes I want my service to come in a nice, clean, comfortable box. No big problems that are out of control. And if you could keep them all to business hours, like that would be really great. 
I can imagine the disciples coming into ministry thinking, I'm calling you to be fishers of men, watching the priests in the temple have sacrifices brought to them, having comfortable robes, sitting in places of honor in the community. We're thinking like, hey, this ministry thing like might work out in a powerful way for me, both spiritually and if it you know, works out temporally as well, like that's an extra win. Jesus goes on with his list. He says to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. Why would he say, stay at a house until you depart? In Luke 10, verse 5 through 7, when, he sent, when Jesus sends out the 72, he expands on that. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. So you're bringing a spiritual blessing to that house. And if not, it will return to you. He, sa- he goes on to say, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker is worthy of his wages. You guys have been to foreign countries, okay? Some of that food they may serve you might be a little different, right? I mean, Southeast Asia, Russia, you know, some of these parts of the world, they eat things that would not be on our palate. Much of the Western world, much of the non-Western world actually has insects as a sizable part of their protein intake. Could you be tempted as a disciple to be, to once you wound up in a house somewhere, look at dinner and be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> right? You could be tempted to want to trade up. And if you were seen as a prophet in the community, you, would ha- you could have a number of people who would want to invite you into their house. Right? Maybe some of the local politicians. Maybe the mayor. Maybe the people who wanted some of your influence to line up with their political influence would say, come on over. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't don't fall for a step up in your own comforts when you need to seek God's kingdom to all men. He goes on to say, if there's any place that will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony to them. Okay? Washing in this culture had ceremonial value. The Pharisees at one point get on Jesus' case that his disciples don't wash appropriately before the meal. Washing signified purifying yourself or relinquishing something from yourself. What does Pilate do before he gets the case against Jesus off of his plate? Do you remember? He washes his hands of Jesus. It's not because his hands were literally dirty, but he wanted to go through the ceremony for all to see. I'm relinquishing responsibility from this. Jesus says, the town doesn't receive you. Knock that dust off your feet. Kathy, you ever did that at a, at a town? No, I never did that either. I never did that either. Jesus led a little bit different mission than we would lead today. So the disciples all went out and proclaimed people should repent. Think about this. The disciples, the first person they saw preaching that gospel of repentance, John the Baptist. And here they are sent out to preach that same message like, hey, 
People, you need to repent in the light of Jesus. You need to repent in light of your sin. Hey, you need to have a Savior who forgives you of your sin. That's the message that they carry. It goes on to say they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. I know that my mission's itineraries do not include dusting off your feet from those who repent, casting out demons, and going to the emergency room armed with a vat of oil to call people out of there. The spiritual authority that Jesus gave these people and told them to leave with empowered them to go and do these things. And I would challenge us, maybe we don't have the exact same objectives here in this community, but that Jesus is calling us and commissioning us to do supernatural things in our own community here. The story cuts to a flashback, which we, we skipped in the initial reading of it. See, the, the flashback in a movie today does a couple of things. When you cut from a scene, it builds tension into the narrative that's playing over it, right? In this case, the scene that's cut away from is where Herod puts John the Baptist to death. What's the message that the disciples are preaching? It's the same one as John the Baptist. So here you are, sent by Jesus to go do miracles. He gave you a little bit of oil, no extra food, no tunic, told you to land where you're going to land. And the guy whose message he sent you out with that you're mirroring got killed by the authorities. You think that question might be plaguing the back of their mind? What's going to happen to me now? Now I'm the one proclaiming this message. Paul Tripp says this, we're all philosophers, archaeologists, and theologians digging into the mounds of time called our past and looking for why things happened. We sift through the past and we sift through this message of Jesus wondering, hey, if I live this way, what's going to happen to me? Hey, if I go forward and apply these truths to my life and follow an, a risen Savior, what's going to happen to my life? And it makes me wonder if the disciples were doing the same things even as Jesus commissioned them and sent them out. Could it be that the apostles, even though, even as they're seeing healing and miracles of God, they're still preoccupied with how all of this is going to turn out? Could it be the narrator is pointing out the differences between what they see and experience as the kingdom of God and how that same theology and philosophy plays out with what they tell themselves in their head? Still, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had taught. This is the celebration at the end of the missions trip, right? I mean, this is when we go off and we have our big dinner. We've been out there. We've been working too long. We're all in need of a nap. Maybe we're a little cranky. Like, this is the time that we're all looking forward to. And Jesus said, come away. We'll go to a desolate place. Verse 31. For there was many people coming and going to Jesus. And it says here, the disciples had no leisure even to eat. 
even to eat, right? How many of them were there? Twelve. He sent them out what? Without any provision, no bread, no money, eat what's put in front of you, like it or not. And here they are back at the end of the missions trip, probably famished, right? All day long, nothing even to eat. Ever had a day like that? You've been just really exhausted, hungry, hangry. And it says they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves to spend some time away with the beloved teacher, to go get some rest. After this exhausting bit of work, they were going to get time alone. They were going to have a little bit of downtime to recoup themselves and some dinner, like let's go eat. It's interesting to note that the narrator records and makes an example of how the life of the disciple was not just primarily the mission for Jesus, as it was the mission with Jesus. That these guys are looking forward to this time away. It's interesting, though, to think about, as we talked about the dynamics of the disciples, I wonder what those conversations in the boat were like, right? I mean, we'll know later, they're arguing over who's the greatest and who's the least. I mean, maybe they're already arguing like, I want to be on this committee, I want to be on that committee. I mean, Jesus, I mean, Peter could be pitching to Jesus his idea for a fencing ministry, right? Hey, Jesus, I want to learn how to use a sword. It comes up later in the story, don't worry. No doubt we know from our ministry practices today, looking backwards, Jesus could have at this moment taken out a ministry application and slid it across the boat. You never know. Never know. Probably not. Now when <laughs> now many saw them going, verse 33, and recognized them. And the people ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, Jesus, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Okay, now think about this. You're a disciple. You've been gone for a long time, right? No provision, no bread, no tunic, no whatever. It's the end of the, it's the, end of the mission dinner, banquet time. Bunch of people show up. You hungry? What do you think when you watch Jesus jump out of that boat and want to go minister to them? You might just be thinking to yourself, really, Jesus? Really? We've not even had anything to eat. Why are you doing this? It's been such a long journey. You know this. You sent us with this. Here he is, jumping out of the boat, going minister, ministering to them. They're a sheep without a shepherd. I'm a disciple without a dinner, all right? <laughs> what about us? What about us? So if you found yourself ever thinking, really, Jesus, about something, maybe you're not alone. In fact, maybe he has something in store for you. And maybe what he has in store is bigger than what you realize. There's verse 35. It says, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. 
send them away to the surrounding countrysides and villages so they can buy something to eat. Do you think this statement is really the disciples' compassion for the crowds? Nobody's holding the crowd there. If they need something to eat, they can go leave. Why, why do you think the disciples are really pointing this out? I'm hungry, Jesus. It's been a long day. What's on these guys' minds? Food. How are you going to provide for me, Lord? It's interesting. Sometimes we can look at the disciples like this super team of missionaries. And I'm super grateful for moments like this because it makes mission with Jesus all that more palatable. It was hard for these guys. My next point is it stretched them in to do ministry. It stretched them to do ministry. Jesus answered them, well, why don't you give them something to eat? That sounds flippant, right? You go to the pastor, you're like, hey, pastor, there's a big problem. Like, I think we should handle this. And he goes, why don't you handle it? But, but pastor, that's your job, right? Like, what do you mean? Why, why, why do I have to handle it? So they bring a reason why they can't handle it. What, what are we going to do? Go spend 200 denarii? I mean, that's like three quarters of a year of salary. It would take nine months of paycheck just to go feed all these people. I mean, it sounds like the disciples need a self-help book, something like along the lines of people in need of food, helping people in need of food. Like, how are we going to solve this problem, Lord? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Right before you bring me a problem, just, just go check, see how we're doing first. Like, bring me a report how this problem is going to get handled. And when they had found out, they said, right, maybe sarcastically, five and two fish, right? Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by the fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish amongst them all. And all ate and were satisfied. Huge victory. Miracle. Miracle. And it was all because the disciples nailed it. No. No, it wasn't. See, all that he does, he does through us. This is not just... This is not a conversation about mega-gifted apostles. Since reconnecting Jesus, they tried to, at times, pull him out of ministry, complained about the situations that they've been in, been confused about the mission, and convoluted about even how to do team. My third point is that when God has called us, He has factored in our shortcomings to that calling. When he calls us to things, it's not because we're perfect and we're mega gifted at things. In fact, it's often been said in Christian circles that God equips the called 
rather than calling the equipped. Isn't it interesting to notice that leading up to this miracle, the Bible writers chose to focus on the development of the ministers rather than on the how-to of how to do miracles. In the most recorded miracle in the Bible, this is really a story about what's going on with the disciples. The people who were fed were never mentioned by name. Their struggles or the outcomes of their struggles weren't brought up. There's no personal identifiers as to where the crowd was from, where they're going, whether or not this inspires ministry in them. It's about the saga of the preparation of the disciples who lived out this story. He started the story, mind you, with the story of what the disciples need and don't need. Jesus commissioned them from there with spiritual authority. He sent them out to defeat strongholds. And he provided for their needs along the way. Verse 43, and it says they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. Think about that. How many disciples are there? What do they want to do the whole second half of the story? What do each of them walk away with at the end of this story? A basket. This story to the rest of the world is about the feeding of the 5,000. We look back in Christian tradition and call this a miracle. What's this story about to the people who lived it out? God commissioned me, sent me, stretched me. Showed up in a miraculous way. God moved that day. Two of the Gospels end right here on this verse. This one goes on to mention there was 5,000 people too. The other ones cut it off right there. Disciples all walked away with baskets full of food. We were hungry all day, Jesus. We thought we weren't going to make it. We got to the end of our rope. We couldn't push forward. God shows up, provides. It's like a miracle. My fourth point. God provides for us amidst of his work. Amen. Amen. In light of us serving a God who numbers the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore and the hairs on your very head, do you think 12 baskets was an accident? Some people in this room, some people in this room have been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive. He showed up for you a couple times, hasn't he? Showed up for you a couple times. Amen. Like the disciples, I think our struggle sometimes can be to internalize what God's doing in our midst rather than dealing with all of the other stuff that could be going on in the background or in our heads. Isn't it a powerful testimony that God of the universe came to, came to earth and did a miracle that he would actually have enough compassion to feed hungry people. But yet I wonder if for the disciples, this wasn't the feeding of the 5,000. This was the, the miracle of the 12 baskets. 
in light of all of this, what can we do? How do we approach Jesus in this season? Well, the first thing we can do is, like a lesson from the disciples, we can, rec- we can recognize that God has commissioned us to do certain things with our ministries. He's got a work in mind, and He's calling you to be on board with that. The second thing to recognize is that sometimes things may be a little bit uncomfortable. Right? That's the part of what stretching is all about. There's a metaphor Jesus uses when He talks about doing a work in people. He says it's like the stretching out of wineskins. When you've had a wineskin that's filled with wine and it ferments, it actually literally stretches out the leather. If you keep that process of, and and it, it changes the very leather and the very shape of things, if you keep expanding it, it'll break. But in the process of actually making that wine, it expands the leather and changes it. And I would challenge us all that that's what Jesus is doing in our life as he does works in us. My third point is that God's looking to provide for us. For some of you who've been following Jesus for so long, he's met you in times where you wondered if he was going to show up. I know this because you're still here, right? That's what keeps you coming back is Jesus showing up for you, and you know him as the provider of all things. So as I bring us to a time of close, I do this with an encouragement and an exhortation. An exhortation to have your eyes open for the miracles that God may be trying to work through us and through you. It may be as simple as sharing the gospel with your neighbor and they come to the Lord. Maybe as miraculous as the 5,000. But that's why we're all here is to encourage one another, walk with one another, love with one another, and serve with one another. So the day we go to heaven with him. Amen? Let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for blessing us, Lord. You've given us beautiful weather, a lovely church, a wonderful community to serve, and a nation where we can be safe in proclaiming your name, Lord. So thank you for those freedoms and that empowerment. God, ask that your word would be with us as we leave, that the things you've said, the promises you've made, that all the times that you've showed up for us and empowered us would be on our hearts. Lord, we would grow closer to you this week and be ever more bold in the proclamation of your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.